Welcome to episode 13 of the New Balances podcast. I'm your host, Adam, and I'm joined today uh, over the interwebs with a uh, very dear and old friend of mine, uh, Father Demetrius Thomas, OSB. Welcome, Father Demetrius. Good to be here. Always good to help you out, my brother. I appreciate that. So you're the first uh, cleric that I've had on my podcast, and I know that I've talked with you uh, about different things and happenings in life. But when I was telling you about uh, my podcast and the vision that I had for it, it it's sort of like a uh, audio diary for myself, but also to talk with other people about adapting and overcoming to difficult situations or scenarios uh, that they've encountered in life. And I wanted to talk to you a little bit about your backstory, uh, where you come from, uh, where you're at now, and, uh, you know, some war stories from being in seminary together uh, and back and forth in that. So I guess the opening we'll question, f- go ahead. We'll have to find the, uh, the, the picture that, where you made me hold the sign that said out of order. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think I might have that. Um, but the, uh, so let's start with your who you are, so your name, your vocation story, and uh, we'll build backwards from there. Sure. So, <laughs> so Father Demetrius Thomas, I'm a Benedictine monk, I'm currently at a monastery, St. Mary's Abbey in uh, Morristown, New Jersey. Um, I've been here now just over 10 years. I entered, in, um, I entered for the Feast of St. Benedict in uh, 2010. Before that, which feast you've got a couple of them. So the actual, like the Roman calendar feast. So the, what is that? The ninth, July 9th, not the transitus. So July 9th sounds about right. Yeah. Let me look. I got it in the phone. I got the calendar here. Uh, June go away. Uh, Flag day. Independence day. Oh, maybe I don't have it in the calendar. Yeah. I think it's a, July 9th. Anyway, before that, I was working in Pittsburgh. Um, I'm native. uh, July 11th is the feast day. Came on the 9th. That was it. I entered the 9th and uh, the feast day was the 11th because that's what I was shooting for. Um, Prior to entering, I was working at a nonprofit um, in the Pittsburgh area that provided housing and supportive services to single parent homeless families in Allegheny County. Um, I was the only guy on staff, so I did, you know, what I call the basic guy stuff. I did a standard household maintenance, you know, change locks, check the hot water heater, troubleshooting. But also because my background is in education, I also um, co-ran a after school program for uh, elementary age kids. I ran and uh, coordinated a mentoring program for both uh, adolescent boys and girls, two separate programs there. And I ran an administrator uh, learning center, which was basically a computer lab and a library. Uh, did that for a little while. Um, prior to that, again, uh, PA boy, rural PA boy. I grew up in uh, Cambria County. If you don't know where that's at, I don't blame you. 
Um, it's uh, I like to describe it being halfway between State College and Pittsburgh, straight up in the Appalachians. I am mountain people. I have ancestors, and by ancestors, I mean like a grandfather who had ATF warrants after him, and it wasn't for fire, firearms, or tobacco. Um, moonshine people. Yeah, moonshine people, hooch people. Um, but yeah, so I I, I grew up there. I uh, that would grew up. that would explain your poor eyesight. Oh yeah, 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 <laughs> and the raging alcoholism in my family. <laughs> Teach their own. Exactly. I mean, you know, functional. Um, but uh, so like I grew up actually. Um, so like the, on the vacation story, where I grew up is a town over from a town called Carrolltown, PA, and that means nothing to most people. But Carrolltown, PA, is the town where Boniface Wimmer first came to the United States. Boniface Wimmer was a German monk and a Catholic priest who came to the United States with the help of King Ludwig II of Bavaria to minister to the German immigrants. Um, there was a huge number of German immigrants in that area at the time, and they needed Catholic priests that could, one, be Catholic, and two, speak their language, hear confessions, do last rites, etc. Um, and so Wimmer came over as a monk, seriously, to like four miles five miles from my house you know the first stronghold of the benedictines in the united states was right where i grew up now he'll eventually lie cheat and steal to get himself a better piece of land uh closer to pittsburgh and latrobe pa there's a whole story behind that um but i grew up with benedictine pastors i grew up with benedictines everywhere and then where there wasn't benedictines we had franciscans of the third order so growing up i knew of one parish that was diocesan. So like when I was thinking of priesthood, when I felt called to that, which was a slow process through, you know, many years, what I thought of was the Benedictines. Cause that's what I knew. That's what you knew. Yeah. In fact, it was funny. Uh, my one, uh, I, I only had a month long postulancy. So those who don't know the stages of when you enter a monastery, um, and formation usually have a period called postulancy, which is basically a house guest period. A lot of places require that to be at least six months, if not up to two years. Like I think the Salesians is like two years or something like that. Isn't it? Isn't it canonically? Nope. No nope. postulancy is not technically canonically at all. Well, that's true. Okay. Novitiates. The, the, Novitiates the, where you get the canonical. So in the ratio, the program for formation, it outlines at least six months. Yes, but that's a guide. Right. It's like deacon should be a deacon for a minimum of six months. But you can always tweak. Yes. <laughs> you found the picture. That's awesome. You got to find a way to post to it. Nice. Um, but uh, so like I only had a month postulancy because like my spiritual director wrote a letter to my abbot then literally just saying like, look, he knows what he's getting into. Just don't let him leave. He'll be fine. So we already had three other guys ready to rock and roll. So they had been there six months to a year. And so Abbot Giles at the time was just like, let's rock and roll. Let's let's hope the chapter lets you into the novitiate and let's go. And they did. Much to their anger or shame or idiocy. Well, I mean, that's neither here nor there. They they let you in and now you are one of them uh, in perpetuity. Mm-hmm. Uh and now they've even gone so far as to appoint you to a place of 
you've got some responsibility. You yourself are now responsible in the formation of some young postulants. Yeah, I'm what we call a socist. It's Latin for ally. Um, In a monastery, the socist, his job is basically to troubleshoot. Like he's for novices. So those after postulancy have what's called a canonical novitiate, which is a minimum of a year. A lot of people think it's a minimum of a year and a day. It's not. It's a year, a calendar year. Um, a lot of places, again, might do two. But um, for us, the only people that can assign a task to a novice is the novice master or the socialist. Even the abbot can't directly be like, go. Um, they sometimes do. Abbot and prior will and like you know if you're smart you just keep your head down like all right yeah fine whatever um but so my job is to be like the check and balance against the novice master and or the community so when the community has problems with the new guy he's not getting something he's acting like an idiot he's just having too many demands they're to come dump on me and then i go to the novice master and have a conversation with him and then we decide what actually needs addressed and what's actually just like one of the old monks being old and grumpy and being like, well, in my day. And walked uphill both ways, barefoot in the snow. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, they, they've actually sort of given me the job of trying to make sure people don't leave, which is kind of crazy because. Well, well, you're kind of the poster boy for that. You know, you <laughs> you've ha- you know, have a reputation in a past as we all do and you have beaten the odds uh to go on to become not only a monk but a priest which aren't uh, are in and of themselves distinct but you are in a community where they are very much intertwined and you have that uh, responsibility of uh, being the appointed troubleshooter but also of dispensing a little bit of, of mercy and justice to these uh guys who are looking to follow in your footsteps that will eventually uh take care of you when you're old and decrepit yeah in theory we hope in theory right you know they'll pick out your nursing home or something yeah take me out back and Old yeller, you exactly. So, uh, you joined in the Benedictines in 2010. I had joined the Salesians in 2007. So, we met, uh, I think, after I had already been, I probably was in vows when uh, we had first met because in yeah. 2010, I was in Port Chester, New York, uh, doing my uh, canonical year of novitiate. And then I came to Seton Hall in the fall of 2011. Yep. That's when I entered too. Like that's when you started. started Seton there. Hall. Yeah. So that's when, so we've known each other for a decade now. Yeah. It's kind of crazy, isn't it? It is creepy. <laughs> uh, and in that time, uh, you know, we've grown to be, you know, best guy friends as far as yeah. I can tell. Yeah, you're um, one of my boys. Definitely we, one of my boys. 
I mean, not everybody gets uh, tasked with driving you to Patterson, New Jersey to be your muscle. <laughs> I was not walking out of there by myself with a $13,000 chalice. Uh, yeah. So uh, Adam's alluded to a story. So uh, one of the customs is if you have enough means, um, the parents often will gift a newly ordained priest with a, with a chalice. And uh, I designed my own. I came up with a design for my own. I wanted to get it custom made. And my dad, for as simple as he is, like, and my family don't got money. Like, we're not, we're not, we're not well off by any means. We're not, we're not broke, but you know, we gotta, we gotta watch. Turned out my dad has saved every dollar of overtime he had worked since I entered the Abbey to pay for my ordination, just in case. So, like, my dad, uh, when I told him I wanted to do a chalice, I was like, you know, I came up with the design to find a company that can do it out of Spain. You know, there's three sort of price points. One is brass and they played it in silver and played it in gold on the inside. One is brass, but the actual cup itself is pure silver and gold plated on the inside. And then, you know, the other is just like pure solid silver. And my dad looked at me and goes, uh, can you bleep me out or what? what Right. Can I can I get my dad's exact quote? I have an explicit tag on here. Okay. So if you want to cuss, feel free. Okay. Because my dad looked at me and goes, "Mike, you're not using a piece of fucking tin on the altar." Like, oh, all right. And then he walked downstairs and came back with a with a vacuum sealed bag full of hundreds, and <laughs> just had ten thousand written on the front. Slapped it down and goes. If you need more, I got more. And, and me and my mom are just looking like, what, what, what the hell? <laughs> so does your dad sell meth or what does your dad do to have uh, $10,000 and hundreds just, you know, underneath his pillow or what, wherever he keeps it? So my dad's, so yeah, I'm not going to say where he keeps it. Um, no, obviously, obviously I, I said that jokingly. Yeah, no, obviously now, um, he does not have that type of reserve hidden in the house. That was for a special purpose, but um, no, he had uh so my dad worked for a company called uh spill tech. Um, they're a subsidiary of new pig, which again, means nothing to nobody, but like if you uh, work industrial machines and stuff like that, you need EPA certified uh, absorbent material to prevent like toxic runoff or like, like when uh BP had that, you know, oil rig exploding. And they needed yep. those buoys that could absorb oil and not like kill fish. Yep. That's my dad's company. Oh, now my okay. dad was a laborer, you know, low man on totem pole, uh, just working machines and running stuff. But because that's a type of industry where you just always need stuff produced, you know, my dad would work 60 hour a week, week after week, after week, after week, unless it was hunting season. And then like, he just peaced out and <laughs> And he went hunting. Um, but yeah, so my dad turned out he had saved like five years of now he wasn't making a lot, but like, you know, if he say maybe $18 an hour times 20 hours a week times five years, he Hold had on, saved that money up 18 simply times 20 is 360 times. 52 weeks yep. is $18,720. Yeah. 
So my dad just, you know, saved it up. Um, simply so that like, again, he, he wanted to do it right. He wanted to, my dad is probably prouder that I'm a priest than I am, to be honest. I can attest to that. <laughs> he's also I, made it very clear that uh, I can never leave the priesthood while he's alive or he'll break my legs with a ball bat. And he would do it. Oh, absolutely. Like when I was a novice, he told my novice master, if my boy gets out of line, just, just get a ball bat. If you don't swing his head, he'll be fine. <laughs> the novice master thought he was kidding. And then he realized that my dad was stone cold serious. Your dad is, that, is uh, as simple as they come, but you will not find a more devout uh, Catholic. Yeah. I mean, he's not like a rad trad. He's not like one of these like, like uber conservative liturgical guys, but he believes what the faith teaches and he's not afraid to pick a fight. You know, I remember uh, recently one of our priests was a uh, falsely accused of uh, uh, inappropriate conduct with a minor. Turned out he had threatened to give the kid a licking. Well, actually, he didn't threaten to give the kid a licking. He said that uh, if the kid kept acting weird, like kept acting up, that his dad would give him a licking. And it got reported all weird. And he ended up getting pulled because the church is stupid anymore when it comes to accusations. You know, it's pull first, prove later. Um, but I'm not. Which I'm not we're going to we're going to stick yeah. a, a needle in that uh, yeah. point, because that's something I want to talk to you about. Yeah. But, uh, Go ahead. Talk. But, but anyway, so my dad, when other people were talking bad about this priest, my, my dad just looked at him and goes, well, see, if, if you're going to jump to conclusions like this, then you know what? Yeah. Your masses deserve to be canceled on Sunday. If you're not going to at least wait till there's evidence, if you're going to jump on and try to ruin a priest's reputation before there's any proof, just speculation, then you don't deserve to have a priest. And they're, and they're looking at him. I'm like, what? Cause you think I'm going to try and convince my son to come back here? No, hell no. No. Like I love my dad. Like he's old school. He'll pick a fight. Like he, he was picking a fight with my cousin today. He said, cause uh, the one chapel in our area got hit by lightning and the, the insurance deductible is actually not bad. It's only seven grand for an insurance deductible on the church, which that's heard of. <laughs> yeah. Cause it's normally like hundred K just to get the insurance involved. And uh, my one cousin was complaining and stuff. And my dad was just, just picking the fight. He's like, well, you want to get buried out of there? You could easily write the check. Why don't you write the check? And my dad's like, well, then shut up. When the church ain't there to bury you, it's not your fault. It's not his fault. Uh, I love my dad. Put up, put up or shut up. Yeah. You know? So you were talking about uh, a priest out in your uh, hometown uh, or hometown adjacent because i think it's just over the border or am i yeah mistaken? just yeah just just town over so, so a priest is falsely accused and the church's response was automatically pull him from the parish yep and he's the only priest assigned to that parish yep so it left the people of god without a priest to minister to them yep because that it's a particular uh parish it has its own uh, particular charism as it were oh yeah uh, it's yeah you know go ahead talk a little bit about that so i mean that's a parish that serves the extraordinary form well what we used to call the extraordinary form before uh <laughs> i don't want to say the band hammer came down but yeah, basically a band hammer that came down the other month um those who don't know the extraordinary form um would be the tridentine missile 
or the missile of uh, uh, Paul the fifth. No, Pius the six. No, the nineteen sixty two missile. That nineteen sixty two is uh, Paul the sixth. Pius the fifth would be the Trinity, which was revamped by John the twenty third in uh, sixty two. Okay. I thought it was the Paul the sixth missile, but I also don't attend and don't know, you know, I thought it was the intricacies because I'm fairly certain it's Paul the sixth, but I could be wrong. And it's not often that I'm correct over you. Let me see here. Okay, insert some Jeopardy music here at some point. <laughs> yep, I was right. Pi- Pius V okay. did the Trinity Missile, and then Paul VI did the um, what's often abbreviated the Novus Order, the, the ordinary form, the, the one you see if you go to any mass now in the Latin Rite of the Catholic Church. Okay. But so, so this parish has that particular charism where they uh, were able to celebrate the mass only in the extraordinary form and they pulled that he does he does both he does both he he does both he does both uh but they're the only one in the diocese that's catholic that does the extraordinary form and that's one of the things why it's actually needed is because there's actually an quote old right roman catholic church there which is a heretical group that broke away from the catholic church uh after the first vatican council back in the 1800s and they were pulling in a lot of people. And so this priest went to the Bishop actually two bishops ago and uh, was just like, uh, what do you want me to do? Like, I don't want our guys to like fall away from the church because we're not given something that they clearly want. And so this guy went from pulling away and he had like a hundred, 150 parishioners to once this priest in this, but that had the problem um, started doing this, they all started coming back to him which was great. You know, I mean, I'm a firm believer, you know, the church should be the church. So, um, uh, but yeah, so like, you can't just pop a dude in there. It's not like, okay, well, we got to pull this one off. So let's, well, let's send this old guy in. Cause like, it's, it's a unique parish. And actually in that parish, the extraordinary forum people pay the bills. Like, you know, the average extraordinary forum family gives, I think over a hundred dollars a week in the collection. The average local guy is given like 20, 25. So that, you know, put your money where your mouth is. uh, Right. And they also volunteer left and right. Yeah. So uh, why does the church automatically pull somebody when there's been an accusation levied against them? Uh, You want my opinion on that? My my opinion on that is because overreaction to the sex abuse crisis and uh, trying to placate the media rather than to do their responsibility and to like actually give a proper response. They did a reaction instead of a response. I remember um, actually, God love him, Father Willie Lechner. He he was the priest uh, when I was in college. And I remember one time I was stressed out, freaking out about something. And uh, and he pulled me aside. He goes, Mike, you got to remember. Oh, those who don't know, my name in the Abbey is Demetrius um, because we already had a Michael. My baptismal name was Michael. So, um, when I tell old stories, I often, again, recall how it was said to me. Um, my memory apparently is pretty good under normal circumstances. 
Uh, but uh, he's like, Mike, remember, you got to go into that meeting and you got to remember to respond and not react. There is a massive difference. If you're just reacting, you're going to feed off their energy. You're going to get fire to fire. It's just going to explode. If you respond, you can calm stuff down. You can take a minute and think. Don't forget to breathe. Don't, don't be afraid to say, hmm, let me think on that for a second. Hold up and collect yourself. Don't react out of emotion. Respond out of reason. And if you ask me um, what we have called the Dallas Charter, which came out of Dallas, it was the U.S. Bishop's response to the clerical abuse crisis in 2002, which needed a response. But when you read the document, it pretty much throws due process out the window. So like you, you're, you're guilty to a proven innocent and you could be accused of something from five years ago, one month ago, or 50 years ago, and you're treated the same. And I know a bishop too. He said to me, like one of the things he hates about it is he has to treat a priest who gets a little too drunk and makes a pass at a woman in a bar the exact same way he has to treat a pedophile. And he's like, how is that right? He's like, look, I'm not saying like a priest who gets drunk and makes a pass at a woman, like I'm going to make him a pastor right away. But like if he takes some time off, collects himself, realizes that no, priesthood is what he feels called to do. He just messed up. Like, well, I can't let him back in the ministry. Come on. Right. And I'm like, no. Yeah. So, so the Dallas charter being born out of the 2002 uh, sex abuse crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, who was the primary? So person? one of the, uh, one of the primary authors is that uh, you can't hear an Adam's voice. He's trying to lead this one. Cause uh, he's right. He's trying to lead it uh, was a, uh, uh, Archbishop Teddy McCarrick, who was a cardinal, and he has the distinction of being the first cardinal in almost 100 years to uh, no longer be a cardinal because uh, he messed up way, <laughs> way big. And he was uh, laicized. Yes, he was forcibly laicized. And in fact, he uh, the evidence was so overwhelming that the Holy Father did something that's very rare, which is he denied a trial. He's like, no, there, there's not even need for public trial based on my authority as the monarch of the Vatican and as the head of the church, you're censored. You are ordered to a life of prayer and penance because you done messed up. You messed up big, A.A. Ron. You messed up big. So uh, he recently uh, popped up back into the news again because he is facing charges uh, yeah. from the 70s up here in uh, my neck of the woods in massachusetts yeah because you guys uh, got rid of a statute of limitations for a while right it. so well statute of limitations is still there however if you leave the state oh it, it stops a, it puts a pause on the statute of limitations yeah so you can't run away and hide and wait it out no the clock is on when you reside within the state but if you leave the state the clock gets paused yeah so i think it's uh you know good that the church is taking the steps to correct the wrongs but i also think that they have a very long way to go in uh you know riding the ship because you've got guys like uncle teddy 
mm-hmm. who were who was in charge, who was one of the most uh, prominent members of the Catholic hierarchy throughout mm-hmm. the world, um, who set up this Dallas Charter, mm-hmm. but managed to keep bishops out of the crosshairs of the Dallas Charter. Yep, uh, and it took away the due process uh, of priests. So all I would have to say is Father Demetrius touched me inappropriately and you'd be removed uh, immediately. And, you know, you would sit in your cell at the Abbey without uh, any uh, recourse, really. Yep. Oh, well, so, I mean, I'm sure you remember what I always said. My policy would be on that. Like if I'm ever accused of something, if I actually did it, I'll take the discipline. No problem. Like, look, I messed up. It's warranted. But I always said, like, if I, if I ever get falsely accused of something and it's looked like I'm going to be jacked, like I'm not going to stay a monk. I'm going to leave because I'm going to have to leave because I'm not going to respond in a way that you want the papers to read about and have be able to say like, Oh yeah, no, he's still one of our guys. You're not a, a PR department's uh... correct. I'm like, uh, there's, there's, Standard a priest, bearers. <laughs> there's a priest right now in PA and I love him. I love him. He's my kind of guy. So uh, Adam knows this, but like, I'm a guy who is like, look, read the rules, know the laws, know what they're going to hit you with and then pick up the stick and hit them back. There's a priest in PA right now. He got pulled from an accusation from the eighties and the bishop's trying to, well, was trying to talk him into just retiring because the guy had a military pension and stuff like he, he would have been fine money wise. And he's like, no. So he's like, well, I want to defend my, I want to start defending myself. So give me the, uh, give me the information on my accuser. Oh, well, that's still confidential. We're not going to release that. So I went, all right. Well, under PA law, I have a right to look at and examine an unredacted version of my personnel file. So he had a lawyer file to get an unredacted version of his personnel file. And because the way the church handles stuff, accusations get put in your personnel file it's just like how at the seminary how i taught the people that under uh ferpa the uh, family rights and education privacy act family rights and yeah education privacy act um as a student you have a right to see your full and unredacted education file seminary didn't like that when i pointed that out to people because they were stupidly putting mental reports and all like the spiritual direction like evals in the ed file And the seminarians who weren't getting reviewed well were able to see what the people actually wrote verbatim without getting some uh, some BS line. And uh, some higher ups did not like that. I pointed that out to them. You were not a favorite of any administrative body that I've ever run across. (laughs) A few liked me because I saved their ass. Like when I went to the one associate dean, I'm like, dude, like. Maybe you get some special exemption from FERPA because like you're a theology, but like putting graded materials in just open like mailroom mailboxes in a cafeteria that in any other department, I can guarantee you that's that that's a massive fine for each time you do it. And I was like, hopefully I'm wrong, but you know, you get one seminary and you kick out that reports it. You're broke. And he ignored it, ignored it. About six months later, they had a general meeting with the provost and everything, and he brought it up there. The provost starts laughing. He's like, that's funny. No one would be that stupid. He's like, well, actually, uh, <laughs> let me be clear. No one would be that stupid. 
So how, I, did I got the, nice... how did the provost find out about that? Because eventually that associate dean did bring it up to him at one of the general meetings. He just waited like six months. And then it was funny because I got included in the email chain as a blind CC. And like they were scrambling back and forth trying to find a way to deal with it. Because like, well, we'll just put them in envelopes. And then the provost was like, they better be sealed. (laughs) Church thinks it can just snap its fingers and make everything do the way that they want it to be done. But there's just so much uh, compliance that they need to realize that they can't just do what they want to do. Yep. And that's sort of like my philosophy has always been in seminary or places I work like, you know, like. I'll bend the rules to save my own backside and help other people out. Like if I can loophole you out of trouble, I will. But like at the same time, like for institutions that want to hold people to, in lockstep, like, Oh, you have to follow every exact letter of the law here. I hold you to the same again, like in seminary. Like I remember one time I was getting yelled at uh, for having a, a closed, it was closed. Uh, two liter bottle of soda in the library in the seminary and uh, the, the librarian comes up goes, you're not allowed food or drink in here where does it say that there's a sign right there like, yeah that's not how policy's made i can put a sign up that says anything that don't mean nothing there's a protocol for how you have to make policy it has to be on the website through the provost you're no longer an independent thing you joined a university like you got to follow the rules so, i was like because, for example, if I pull up food and drink in the library, look, I'm not allowed in the rare books room. I'm not allowed on the third floor of this library. Hey, guess what? This library is not even listed at all. You want to make the rule, make the rule. So long story short there, like it was funny because I got pulled in and the rector at one point, you know, sort of accused me. He's like, well, I'm worried about you being too legalistic. I'm worried how you'll be in the parish. And I looked and I was like, dude. Think about who I'm legalistic to. I'm not legalistic to my friends. I'm not legalistic to other students. I'm legalistic to you. You use every little rule and regulation to keep people in lockstep. All I'm doing is treating you the way you treat others. I was like, and you know what? It's your own fault because the way you worded it when I asked for a key. <laughs> so, okay. So go back and tell this story because <laughs> this is what uh, stemmed your uh fu montage towards the administration at immaculate conception seminary at seton hall university so what 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 year was that i was still in philosophy or something there wasn't it that that had to be 2012 yeah because you were still there you were there i was there so the seminary building itself like the residence hall is right next to one of the main classrooms And if you come out the one classroom building doors, there's a side door right there. But it has a like the classic, like, you know, industrial. I can tell you exactly what it's. It's it's a best branded. So it's a Schlade seven pin um, master keyed lock. I mean, actually, they're really easy to pick. There's very few security pins in it. Like, I mean, you, you can bypass that lock easy. Not saying I I did, but you can. Um just pick it to the left. Uh, you only got to pick the first two pins. Um, I, I have a cousin who was a bonded locksmith. I, I learned many a trick. Um, but so winter was coming and 
the seminary had mailboxes we had to check in the seminary building. Likewise, when we had breaks from the seminary, there was like a little like refreshment area that even the religious were welcome to do. And the religious had a little like seating area, like their own little like study room in quotes, they called it. But like it sucked. And eventually I got my own office uh, from another department, which was awesome. Um, But so I sent an email to one of the associate deans, actually the same one who I saved his butt on the FERPA thing. And I was like, hey, father, I wonder if the religious could get like a, Either if we could leave that door open there on the side or if the religious could get a key to it, being that, you know, you want us to come check our mailbox and stuff like that. And we're welcome to the building like it, you know, so we don't have to, like, worry about getting an umbrella or worrying about the ice and putting on a coat and all this stuff to walk the whole way around this building to get to the front door when literally there's a door five feet from where we're coming out. And I get a well, you know, I'll look into it. About like three, four days later, I get an email back. Well, I talked to the rector and the vice rector, and I'm sorry, we can't give it to the religious for security concerns, quote, security concerns. And so I'm like, all right. So apparently our relationship is just straight up business. Like we're straight up business. All right, cool. So that began a process in me because I, I, I can be a. I you can said be boundaries a, very well. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, like, like I will give you the blood in my veins. I I have traveled when a friend of mine was getting surgery and he wanted me to be on deck just in case he needed a blood transfusion. Luckily he had a surgeon from the subcontinent of India who understood the idea of bringing your own blood to a surgery. (laughs) So like, I mean, I will literally give you the blood in my veins, the liver, you know, part of my liver. Like Adam, like, you know, you know, if you're my blood type, you know, I'll I'll give you what I need. You know, what's your blood type? Be positive. Oh, I'm all positive. Uh, sorry, I can take yours. <laughs> but uh, but I'm also the type of once I write you off, once I put you out of my friend area and put you into the general people category, like you mean nothing to me. Part of that's how I grew up. I grew up in a very small town, so your friends are your friends, and everyone else is an acquaintance. Um, but so I was like, all right, you got this business relationship now since they've defined what, right. So they, they wanted to find it sort of like a straight business. All right. Okay, cool. So from that moment on, I quit going into the seminary to get a drink, get food, whatever. Luckily I had a couple friends in the ed department. So they actually just gave me a passcode to use the teacher's lounge (laughs) in the ed department which was awesome. Like I can still see the look on a, uh, we had a professor Victor Velarde on his face when he couldn't get a copy machine to work. Cause the seminary was, you know, always like refusing to upgrade and fix stuff. So like there was no toner and I'm, he's like, I'm so sorry. It was metaphysics. So you need given notes to understand it. Metaphysics is just like brutal. Um, and I looked at, I was like, doctor, if you can give me five minutes, I'll get us notes. What, just, just give me, give me a sheet. Give me a sheet. And I came back with a stack of notes. I was like, ha, ha, ha. I was like, I went upstairs and I printed them out. And he's looking at me confused. Like, I don't even have a code to print in this building. I'm like, well, I do. And, uh, but, uh, but so I'm very much the, once you establish that that's all we are, then that's all we are not. And I will respect those boundaries. But once there's boundaries put in place, once you put a boundary in place, then that's the boundary. 
So like with a seminary, I quit eating and drinking in that building because if I'm not a, if I'm not a trusted guest, if you can't trust me to come into the building, I'm not going to eat food with you. I'm not going to break bread with you. Breaking bread is one of the most intimate things you can do. I mean, there's a reason we call the Eucharist the breaking of the bread, the sharing of a meal. Now, yes, it's the living body and blood of Christ, but part of that, even in the earliest days of church, they actually shared food because of the idea of, you know, there's nothing more essential to human life than food and drink. And there's nothing that builds up community more than sharing that. So like, if you don't trust me to even come into your building properly, unsupervised, then you know what? I'm not going to eat your food. So I, I, I started doing my thing. And uh, so they, they set up that, you know, like, our relationship is business. So that's how I treated it. Like, and I don't think they were ready for that can of worms because I made a point to. <laughs> so if you can't see me right now, I have my lips pursed. I'm shaking my heads and I'm um, looking up towards the ceiling. I said, no, they were not ready. <laughs> they didn't know what they created. Yeah. Cause like, I, you know, I'm the type of guy who, like I even tell my kids, you know, like, cause I work as a teacher now, um, you know, Read the handbook, read the manuals, know what the rules, regulations are, know how rules and regulations have to be made, published, printed, who can make them, who can't make them. And don't be afraid to pick up the stick and run. You know, I had a professor in undergrad who specialized in educational law. That's what his doctorate was in. He's a practicing lawyer. And I can still hear him telling us, you know, like, look, the law is a giant stick. You either run afraid of it your whole life or you learn to pick it up and swing it. And that that's sort of my mentality. So I, I held the seminary to every little law regulation. I, I remember again at that meeting where they called me in and they were afraid I was, you know, too legalistic. You know, they rattled off a whole bunch of things where I had called them out on stuff. And I looked at them, I was like, uh-huh. And where was I wrong? And they're like, and that's when uh, the rector, and I like the rector. Riley was a nice guy. Um, Shusko can, well. Fly a kite in a lightning storm. Yeah, Shusko can do what uh what uh I told that other seminarian to do when they're in class that day. <laughs> Adam's laughing again. Uh but uh I like where was I wrong? It's like, well, we're afraid you're being legalistic. I'm, yeah, I'm legalistic to you. You set that up. What, what do you mean? I was like September 12, 2012. I sent this email. This was your reply. That set the relationship. And then they're, they're just looking at me like, holy crap, you hold on a grudge. I'm like, I don't hold on a grudge. I just am a firm believer. Relationships are relationships. If you establish this is what we are, then that's what we are. Uh, and they were the beneficiaries of many of those encounters with you. And, yeah. You know, I, I, yeah. I still do kind of feel bad about uh, like part of me thinks that it would have been kinder if they had fired that one professor instead of making them do a full year of sensitivity training. <laughs> so four I had a poor professor. Yeah. I had a professor who taught healthcare ethics and he, uh, he hadn't updated any of his materials since the eighties. And uh, I have a master's in special ed. So like, I went to him like, dude, like some of this language you're not allowed to use anymore. Like you can't use the word retard in a test. Like he had a test. Literally the first question on his midterm was Mary T is a 16 year old retarded girl. I'm like, you, you, you can't put that in print no more. Like, dude, like you can't 
It's like, here's the university policy. They can fire you on the spot for this. And uh, I let it go. Like, I let his stuff go. It annoyed me. But a couple people were like, all right, just calm down. Just chill. Go get a beer. Yeah. Like, Adam, a uh, couple deans I knew. But, but eventually, a couple of my friends had them the next year. And some of them had learning disabilities. And, and they were straight up offended. And so because I was already finally professed in my final vows, and I wasn't worrying about no chopping block, because if need be, I could have got my cousin to ordain me. Would have been scandalous, but like would have been legal. It would have been legal. I, you know, I could have went shopping. Um, uh, I, I was like, all right. So I went again to that associate dean. I was like, look, I'm having, you know, a couple people are complaining to me about so and so. This is their complaints. Here's my documentation. And he was like, well, who have you talked to? I was like, well, I already talked to this dean. He said if it was one of his guys, he'd fire him on the spot. I already talked to this person who works in this department, this person who works in this department, this person who works in this department, just to make sure I'm not being out of line here in, in my views and in my interpretation. And I, looked, I was like, look, I don't want to file a formal complaint through the ethics portal, but I can. It's like, you got to fix this. And uh, he then went to the rector and he was like, well, I might need to talk to these people that are talking to you. Why are they talking to you and not, and not me directly? Because like, they're afraid you'll kick them out. Like, you're good at defending your own priests and like, well, he's a seminarian, get rid of him. He's causing too much trouble. It's like, they ain't stupid. They know I don't care. <laughs> anyway. And I'll so win then, that fight. Yeah. Yeah. So, and actually that was one of the funny things. Cause when he went to the rector with all my stuff and all my files, uh, the, the rector's response was, well, we got no choice. Everything's super documented. Like we literally have no choice. So they, they worked out instead of firing them, he had to do a full year of uh, inclusive language training. So like, think about like, like I'm putting think off of doing an 80 year old professor who doesn't know any better. Who yeah. Probably has never been checked before in his life. Uh, who is a priest and yeah. did not have the wherewithal to do updated trainings of any sort. And just yeah. kept doing what he had been doing for forever. And now he had the weight of the academic world and political correctness come crashing down on him. Yep. And rightfully so. Right. I mean, and I'll say, like, I, I say, I, as you know, I always describe that man, like, he's a very good priest. Like, as priests go, he's salt of the earth, great guy. Horrible teacher. Yeah. Like I would purposely mess with this guy, like like because I covered with him again. I've at this point I'd already have my my master's in special ed and all this stuff. So like I remember one time like I covered it with him repeatedly. Like, look, you want very detailed answers on these test questions on these essays, but you're not wording the question appropriately. You're not. And so like, I just oh, yeah. he caught me on so many things because I would answer. He would at, give like a the statement for. Yeah the for what he would was looking for and i would answer his questions the same way that i would answer a math problem with yeah. the most succinct possible answer because there was nothing to expound upon like i would give two three sentence things and he would you know kick it back to me with like a d or an f and he's like nope this is not right you have to i said well tell me where i'm wrong here like right. I've answered the prompt 
And he goes, no, you need to expound upon. It. I go, this isn't, you, you're talking about healthcare ethics. There's a lot of gray yep. area in healthcare ethics. Yep. So what do you want? So, so I want to go back and. Um, well, I was just going to say, so like, you know, so like I purposely just trolled that guy eventually. So like I knew like he was going to ask the question right from memory because he always wrote it the same way. Right from memory, the principle of the common good and subsidiarity. And I knew he'd ask it. Now, I knew he wanted the definition from the textbook. But I also knew that just like I had told him repeatedly, he wasn't going to put in right from the textbook. So I began my response with, according to the Treaty of Lisbon, paragraph, I think it was like 206, subparagraph, da, 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 also known as the Reform Treaty of the EU. The common good is defined as, and then I wrote verbatim the definition of the common good. I was like, the principle of subsidiarity defined by the same treaty, subsection, da, 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 is defined as. And then I just ended it with, oh, did you want the one from the textbook? Because I gave you the one to find the international law. <laughs> he marked it as a zero. I did a grade challenge and the academic review board overturned it in my favor and just looked and I was like, look, he gave you an appropriate answer with appropriate citation and it is verbatim. The, the one uh, guy on the board who did know me, he looked at me and was like, D, how long did it take you to memorize that subsection? I was like, hours he's like yeah that's what i figured because <laughs> i will do more work to myself to prove a point <laughs> yeah because you're stubborn yeah you're i am <laughs> hey we were language connect for like 200 years what do you want <laughs> yeah, well i mean so you touched upon uh, a point earlier and i'm only going down this hole because you opened the door you sure. said you could get ordained by your cousin while it would be frowned upon it would be uh, still legal, but it would be illicit. Uh, what's that about? <laughs> so, uh, uh, all right. I'll, I'll tell this story by telling this story involving a, a scully. So one of our professors, a laywoman, we're sitting there in class and she starts bad-mouthing the then-disgraced Archbishop Rembert Weakman. He was the former Archbishop, I think, of Milwaukee. Milwaukee? Yeah. And uh, she's ripping into him and I get this look on my face. She looks at me, brother, what's wrong? I was like, well, I don't know how I feel about this. What do you mean? I was like, not admittedly. Yeah, he messed up. He paid off his gay lover with church funds and got caught. I was like, but you know what? Like, I, I don't know how I feel about you badmouthing like that. I was like, I can badmouth him. Like, yeah, I call him my dick sucking cousin because he is. She's like, well, I guess you're kind of right. He's another Benedictine. So I guess he's kind of your cousin. I was like, no, 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 no. My grandma Klein was born with Nita Weakland from Patton, Pennsylvania. He's blood. I know him as Georgie. And her face dropped as she starts scrambling like, oh, crap. Because <laughs> though he was disgraced, he still did have a couple friends who liked him. Uh, Rembert Weakland, nice guy. As people go, good guy. Again, he messed up. Like, you can't deny that. He messed up. And from what I gather from his books and from talking to other people, it, it was more than a one-time thing. Like it wasn't just him having a lover. Like he repeatedly messed up through his career, but he made a lot of powerful friends. At one point he was head of the Benedictine order, like worldwide. He was abbot primate living in Rome. In fact, that's how he became archbishop because he made enemies with then uh, 
Cardinal Josef Ratzinger, the head of the CDF, because they had different agreements on what liturgy should look like. Now, I personally favor uh, 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 Pope Benedict XVI than Joseph Ratzinger's idea on liturgy versus Rembert's, because like I don't think I don't want to see somebody dancing down the freaking uh, aisle. Uh, he, he Which our our good uh, friend, uh, not uh, Arinze, has said that it doesn't belong in the Western world. It's not yeah. appropriate to the liturgy. Yeah, so did Sarah. In fact, I posted that one from Sarah not too long ago. Uh, or Sarah. Sarah. He doesn't like Sarah. He's Nigerian. Um, but uh, but yeah, but like he still had a lot of friends. In fact, he became Archbishop because Ratzinger went to then John Paul II, who was Pope, and went, get him out of Rome. Give him a job he can't he can't refuse. And so he became Archbishop of Milwaukee. It's like a shoot. At least that's the story I heard. And I trust the people that have told me that one. <laughs> Uh, but so and, yeah so like if need be i could have called him up and be like look the legend is that ever since john weakland senior defended demetrius galitzin that there's always going to be a priest in the weakland family you're dying i'm the replacement and i know he would have done it now I, I know the guys here at the abbey would have asked a lot of questions about it but it would have happened yeah so like i didn't care like seminary seminary like i'll find a way to get ordained like when they wanted me to take that healthcare ethics professor again for another class and i just refused and I'm like what well, i was like look either we work out a way for me to take this with someone else or i'll find another way to take it but i'm not taking it with him i'm not i'm not going to take him and they're gonna be like well, but you have to i'm like i gotta do shit <laughs> you're not my boss <laughs> so So you talked about uh, there always be the legend of Demetrius Galitzin, and there always being a priest within the Weakland family. Yep. Who the heck is Demetrius Galitzin? So Demetrius uh, Alexander Galitzin, um, no, Demetrius Augustine Galitzin. Alexander was his father. Was a Russian prince, not of the blood, but a high Russian prince. His family were the Archdukes of Lithuania. Uh, controlled a lot of land in the Caucasus actually, which is kind of funny because uh, a, a direct D I have uh, when I told her that, you know, I took my name after Demetrius Glitch and she's like from, from the Caucasus. I was like, yes. Cause she's Ukrainian family. And she goes, we used to be their serfs. I was like, Oh, you shouldn't have told me that. <laughs> Surf is basically a slave, but you're owned by the land and not by the person. <laughs> um, but uh, so Demetrius Galitsyn, his father was the ambassador uh, for the Russian noble court to the Hague in uh, the Netherlands, as well as Paris. And well, in Paris, he made friends with then John Adams, who was an ambassador with um, Ben Franklin during the War of Independence. And Demetrius Galitzin, his son, was actually such a high ranked noble that at the age, of, well, he was christened. His godmother was Catherine II. Catherine the Great of Russia and his mother was one of her favorite courtiers because she and Catherine uh, of Russia, Catherine the Great were initially from the same area in Austria um, so Galitzin, Demetrius Galitzin, my namesake was actually made a member of the personal vanguard, the personal protectorate guard of the Russian Tsar at the age of two there's stories of him literally just sitting on the lap of Catherine the Second, probably one of the most powerful women to live, to be honest. Um, uh, 
so Galitzin will eventually get older and his dad will try to figure out a job for him to do that's appropriate. And so he'll, he'll reach out to his buddy, John Adams, who was then serving as vice president of the Americas. And he'll get sent to Washington, D.C. because, you know, this is like Napoleonic War era. Like, 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 it's before that a bit, but like you, you yeah, Europe's a shit show. Yeah. Um, so they sent him to the States because it's safe. And also like, look, it looks like this country might actually survive. Yeah, that's, you know, the Arctic Confederation fell apart, but now they seem to have their stuff together. So, uh, you know, send him there and he can become the ambassador for those guys. And he literally showed up to uh, John Carroll's doorstep, the first bishop of Baltimore. It's actually the only elected bishop in American history um, with literal letters of recommendation and introduction from kings and queens of Europe, like high noble old school letters of introduction as a diplomat and uh, says, yeah, I want to be a priest. Carol laughed. It's like, <laughs> no, nope, 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 nope. After two years of convincing him, Carol agreed to let him be a priest and get ordained. And Demetrius Galitzin, actually, he's a servant of God, which is the first stage in canonization. Um, he was the first priest to go through all the minor owners from tonsure where they cut your hair and enter you into seminary under the old system to ordination in the u.s uh he'll use a surname a pseudonym a pseudograph of augustine smith or augustine schmidt and he'll actually be stationed in my area like he'll be sent his parish will be about 100 square miles but he'll be in loretto pa which is you know 20 minutes by car from where i grew up very solidly in his parish and uh you know he was well educated probably one of the best educated people in the americas at that time because russian noble like <laughs> you know he, he's old blood um in fact one of their family crests is um bears holding up the russian throne because they were the bears that supported the throne um but uh so Galitzin, um, after the War of 1812, during the War of 1812, a day of fasting and prayer would be declared by the uh, Congress, which I should tell you how far we've fallen as a society. Now that you can't even pray in school back in the day, they're like, okay, war is going bad. Nobody eat and everybody get to church by law. Um, and one of the local Protestant ministers out of Huntington, which is pretty far away, but again, when there's nothing there, like it's the close one gave a sermon on that. The reason we were losing the war was because of the superstitious Catholics. And so Galitzin wrote an open letter defending Catholic principles. And he made this guy look like an idiot. After two years, the guy writes a reply to Galitzin. And uh, you really had to think about it for a little while, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And it, and it still was a shit show. So like, in Galitzin's reply to the reply, he actually begins it, which is one of the reasons I love this guy. He begins it with, Dear Reverend Sir, if you ever wish to publish again, please inform me, and I will pay for the publication out of my own purse. For since your publication of, quote, Defense of the Reformation, scores of our countrymen have come to me for instruction in the one true faith. <laughs> so it's kind of awesome. But so needless to say, his tongue-in-cheek blank you angered some of the local 
people. And um, some of the Protestant parishioners, as well as some actually other people that were just offended at him for the way he was handling some land issues, came to beat the snot out of him. And uh, my ancestor, John Weakland, ancestor on my mother's side, uh, grabbed the fence post and just came swinging like a ball bat, just swinging. Give you an idea of John Weakland. Um, according to other local um, reports, like not legend, but like recorded letters, um, you know, few years before this he had to get some doctoring done because he killed a wolf with his bare hands and got scratched up pretty bad and he also killed a bear cub with his bare hands so like not not the brightest like book smart guy but like old school farm strength like pre-tractor farm strength and he just grabbed this fence post and just come swinging busting skulls stupid strong yeah, stupid strong. Like, 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 like I got a buddy. He's he dumb as a brick, but God love him. He, he's like, you know, God gave some people brains and other people bronze. I can list stuff to take six men to put on my back. And this is the guy who built a pavilion by carrying telephone poles by himself. He Jesus walking across the yard. Six <laughs> men pick it up, put it on his shoulders, his balance it, and just Jesus walk it. And beat us there. Like, he'd get there before we did. Uh, strong mother but so weakling comes swinging saves galitzin and according to the local legend galitzin looked at him and said you know because of your faith and devotion your family will never be without a priest and one of john weakland's kids got ordained and ever since then there's been one of his descendants either as a monk or a priest but always as a priest so we've never had someone dead without a replacement, which is, I think, kind of awesome. Um, and then also when they moved the cemetery, so the old cemetery got moved to a new cemetery, they exhumed some of the graves. My ancestor was one of the ones they dug up. And according to the newspaper reports, his right arm, the arm he used to defend Galitzin, was actually incorrupt, meaning it hadn't decayed. The rest of his body had rotted away, skeleton and bone, but like his right arm was just still this burly mother, like jack you up arm interesting yeah i don't think i've ever heard that side of the story but i probably oh, yeah. have because it's in your uh your arms yeah yeah it's in a coat of arms uh that adam was essential and helped me get which is kind of awesome um but yeah so uh so you know that's actually one of the reasons i took galitzin uh as one of my patrons so demetrius um now, I also, you know, have a family tied to Glitzen from my dad's side. So my grandmother on my dad's side, going back through the maternal line, was an orphan that actually Glitzen took in and raised. Because uh, my blood ancestor, his wife had died in childbirth, and he was there dying. The priest came to give him last rites. And my ancestor, again, I can tell I'm related to this guy. Because he looked at the priest and goes, no, I'm not going to confess. Until you agree to take care of my kids. You clearly got enough money. You can take care of my three kids. And the priest is like, nah, man, like, it doesn't work that way. I just can't adopt kids. Like, even back in the day, like, you can't just, like, bring kids into your house. Like, all kinds of questions happen. Um, and my ancestor's like, nah. And he called the priest bluff. He's like, well, then, you know, under 
Catholic teaching, you're, you're responsible for explaining to God why the souls in charge you are in hell. So if you're good enough to explain to God that like you couldn't agree to take care of my kids. And so you're willing to let me go to hell with unrepented sins. Go for it. After about an hour. <laughs> so, uh, so, so one of the moral of the story is that stubbornness runs deep in your veins. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, again, you know, I'm a Thomas Septa Mac, Thomas Septa Macintosh. So, my family broke away from a Scottish clan that was offered land in uh, Wells to get out of a blood feud. We took it. And then when Henry VIII was still defender of the faith and Catholic, my family went to Germany to fight the people under the imperial band, a.k.a. the Lutherans. So we served as mer- stubborn Catholic mercenaries for like 200 years. And then we and then went shoemakers. to the New World. <laughs> well, we became bootmakers and shoemakers and then went to the New World and really never left our hometown. Like, I, I have pretty much every member of my family, unless you're in a monastery or a war grave. If you're a guy, you've been buried in the same hill since 1847, I think is when Johannes was buried. So since the 1840s, we've buried everybody in the same hillside. Interesting. That's, That's... actually the church that got hit by lightning. Ah, <laughs> uh, Well, I want to thank you for coming on because we've been talking for about an hour and a half. And I know you're exhausted. Yeah, well, you know, I'm exhausted. It's good story time. I mean, we'll have uh, plenty more opportunities in the future uh, to share uh, more stories and talk about the happenings going on, uh, not just in our own worlds, but, you know, in the Catholic world and whatnot. Oh, yeah. Maybe one uh, day I can explain to you why a Dallas charter is not only a bad idea, but could be the worst thing in the Catholic Church's history. Uh, yes, please, because but, I think you and I have uh, peripherally talked about such things. Uh, oh yeah, but, but right now not, I'm, I'm not ever not to discuss that publicly. So, and it's by right. people that could make my life a living hell. <laughs> well, I mean, when you are ordained, you are subject to such authority. So yes, but yeah. Well, thanks for coming on, uh, Demetrius, and uh, excuse me, Father Demetrius. Uh, and, no problem, uh, my brother. I will talk to you soon. Sounds good. All right. Bye-bye.